I just knew I had to do it. And the other thing is that I felt like all my work up until this point has led me to be able to tell this story and certainly doing the old guard and, and the action and that and learning, I felt like gave me that last bit that I needed. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, the remarkable story of the Agogie, an all-female unit of warriors who protected the African kingdom of Dahomey, is revealed in director Gina Prince-Bythewood's historical drama, The Woman King. Inspired by true events, the film follows General Naniska, the Agogie's leader, as she prepares the next generation of recruits for a battle against an enemy determined to destroy their way of life. In addition to The Woman King, Prince Bythewood's directorial credits include the feature films Love and Basketball, The Secret Life of Bees, Beyond the Lights, and The Old Guard, and episodes of the series Women of the Movement, Cloak and Dagger, Shots Fired, Girlfriends, and The Bernie Mac Show. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Prince Bythewood spoke with director Stan Lathan about filming The Woman King. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. And I want to say I'm I'm um, really excited about being here today because I love... Gina and I and I love the movie so much, and I've seen everything she's done. Or mo- I guess most everything she's done, and I've always been really very impressed by her abilities and her dedication and commitment. And um, after uh, talking to her a, a lot about this movie and seeing this movie twice now, I'm just I'm I'm blown away by it. So I'm I'm it's, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I also want to say I love the the DGA. <laughs> For those of you who are, who are DGAers, uh, because um, I joined the DGA in 1970, and I've been a card carrying, dues paying, insurance using person. <laughs> Raised the family, and uh, and then, so I love DGA. But anyway, so I'm happy to be here. So Gina, I you know the thing about it is that we talked a little bit about the film, and um, it kind of gave gave me the you know the need to take a look at it a second time and to really look at it in a more in a in a, a more just to try to understand what was going on and how, and what might be going on in her head when she when she conceived it and when she actually did it and i just you know i'm just i'm kind of in awe um because it's a it's a it's a huge movie and i also know that um it's not it's probably made for a lot less than a lot of these these big movies right <laughs> A lot less, um, and so I'm. You know, I'm. I'm. Um, like I said, I'm very impressed. And but I want to know, and I want to talk about how you even got into it. This particular movie. Um, this one came 
I was in the middle of post of the old guard. I literally promised my family, uh, myself, that I was going to take a break just because old guard was two years and it was, you know, it was a lot. Um, but I choose what I'm going to do by have to and not want to. And the script came to me. One, it had Viola Davis attached, so that's, you know, lifts it to the absolute top of the pile. But I just started reading this story that I'd never heard of before, never seen this before. And I just, I got that thing where you start to see the movie in your head and you start to get excited. And, you know, when I read these women rise about the grasses, I just said, I want to shoot that. I want to be the one to bring these women to life. And the more I read, the more I got excited about what this movie could be. Um, Braveheart is one of my favorite movies. I watch it. I mean, at least twice a year. Um, and I love, you know, Last of the Mohicans and Gladiator, Dance with Wolves, historical epics. I love those type of films. But I'd never seen myself in one of those films. And this was my opportunity to do that as well. So it's, I just knew I had to do it. And the other thing is that I felt like all my work up until this point has led me to be able to tell this story. And certainly doing the old guard and, and the action and that and learning about that, I felt like gave me that last bit that I needed. So I went into a meeting to, I had to meet with Viola and Kathy and Julius, um, the producers first, but it really was, and I knew it going in, it was about, could Viola, does Viola dig me? <laughs> does she trust me um, to, to bring her on this journey? So I don't. So you were real nice to that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't, like you get nervous before a pitch meeting, of course, because you're going in there to sell yourself. But I usually go in with some type of swagger, but like Viola scared me. Because um, I just, it's like Viola Davis. How am I going to make her believe that I could direct her? And I went in there and, yeah, so I have a thing, <laughs> which is, of course, like there's no crying in directing. You just, you don't, can't show vulnerability, certainly on sets or in rooms or anything. But in that room, I did something I've never in my life has ever done. I was talking about the guttural connection I have with this movie and with this story. And that was a thing that I knew I was bringing into the room that nobody else would bring. And I started crying and like in the moment, it was just humiliating. And I was, I couldn't stop. And I just remember looking up and seeing Viola <laughs> watching me cry. And I finally got myself together and I finished the meeting and I left and I literally, I'm driving saying I blew it. Like I blew the meeting. And then I get this call that she loved the meeting and the fact that I cried made her believe that she could trust me as a director. And that blew me away. Um, that's so, amazing. That's great. Yeah. She's she's a pretty good crier, too, you know, <laughs> on camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but that's amazing. So, but what, then, then what? Then, that, so then they hired was, you right then? Yeah, or? so so I got hired by Viola, Kathy Shulman, and Julius. But then it didn't have the green light yet. It was set up at TriStar, but it didn't have the green light. So then it was about me getting us a green light. And that was about coming in pitching my vision about what it would be. And, you know, you've got to do that thing. You've got to put together your pitch deck and, and go in. But I was so clear on what 
this movie was and what I wanted it to be, that that part of it wasn't scary to me. And so it was meeting with TriStar, the meeting with Sony and Tom Rothman, and they were all getting excited about what I wanted to bring to it. And and at that point, the old guard had come out and done what it did, and that was very helpful. That was very, as well, very successful could, for, yes. for Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, great. That'll help, <laughs> for sure. Um, so now, okay, so so you got the, the green light. And then when was that? Was that... Was that before the the pandemic or? That was, that was in, we didn't actually get the official green light, I'm going to say until October and we started shooting in November, but that's that thing, that blinking green light. I think once it was in casting, casting was the next big step to getting that green light. So how how was casting? What what was that like? I mean, what did you, you had to, well, you had the star. I had Viola, but they wanted more. Um, they wanted more stars. Yes, yeah, because it's a it's a film that hadn't been done before. I was pitching it. I pitched it as a historical epic action drama. They would have loved for it to be action, historical epic, and a little bit of drama, um, just because of the marketplace. But I came in very specific on on what it was. But there weren't there weren't really any other big stars in there, were there? Or no, I mean John Boyega was a big get for us. Um, mm-hmm. But I knew, as soon as I read the script, I knew a couple people I wanted in this. And that started with John Boyega. Mm-hmm. And just, I loved his work and I felt like he could be the king. Right. And then Lashana Lynch, who plays Azogi, who's incredible. Um, the trailers of 007 had just started coming out. And I remember watching them getting so hyped about her. Mm-hmm. Like I believed her. And then I saw a speech that she gave at an event and I was just so blown away by who she was, what she was about, what type of role she wanted to get. So, and again, I needed everybody I was casting. They had to have chops, of course, incredible acting chops. That's first. But then second, I had to believe them as these warriors. And then thirdly, I needed to know that they had the work ethic to train because I knew I wanted everybody to do their own action and their own fighting uh, and their own stunts, which is you know what you see up there, and that's a whole nother. Well, how, thing. how did you how did you judge that on your your casting? It was literally well, it was a couple of things with everybody that I went to. It was a literal look you in the eye and say it was the same speech, but it was I'm telling you, I need you to do this for the character to best embody these characters. You're going to go online and you're going to see these cool videos cut to music of actors who have done it and it looks really cool and fun. And it's not. It is horrible. It is grueling. It is a <laughs> grind. This is going to be six days a week, two times a day, hours. And every single one of them looked back and said, I will do anything I can and everything I can. And I'm, I believed him. Tusa was the only one that had to do a little extra. Tusa plays Nawi in the film. I knew within seconds of her audition, and it was a Zoom audition because nothing was in person at that point. I, I just fell in love with her, and her chops are insane, and you just cared about her. So I knew she was the one, but she has never done anything athletic at all. Um, and I was like, ah, all right, so let me give you an assessment. Like, is there enough that I could build on? And being an athlete, like, I can, I can tell. And so I had her meet with Danny Hernandez, who's my incredible stunt and fight coordinator. 
And we gave her, it was supposed to be an hour assessment. We took her to a gym, put a machete in her hand, and just started um, working her out. And that hour turned to two because she just kept wanting to learn more. She kept wanting to get better and better. And we knew there was just enough where we knew we could build on it. But it was that mentality of wanting to be great that got us excited. And Tuso got, it was still a leap of faith, but I believed her, Danny believed her. So we cast her in April and she started training in May and trained all the way through to the end of shooting in March and never took a day off. Her work ethic, insane, and her desire to be great, insane. And it was, again, a leap of faith that paid off so big because that's that's her up there doing that. That's great. That's great. So now, okay. Can I throw out one other person, please? Because Sheila Tim, who plays Amenza, who's also brilliant. Sheila, I had gone to an early screening of Bruised. Hallie had invited a group to to come and and give her thoughts on it. And I saw Sheila in that. I don't know if anyone's seen Bruised. She's brilliant in it. And I I remember at the end of it saying, who is that? Like, I want to work with that person. And she auditioned. She shouldn't have had to audition, but that's the nature of our business. And she was brilliant. And same thing, her work ethic, insane, um, and learned to do. It was a big thing. How do I double Sheila team? Like, where are you going to find a stunt double? So we didn't have a choice anyway, but she killed herself to be able to do what she did. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the, just the prep in general and getting ready to do it. Because I know you, you not only was the casting a big deal, you cast, you cast in different countries or you, it was all, all, all Zoom? Um, yeah, it was all Zoom and it was, we looked in here, of course, London and South Africa. We had a South, Aisha Coley was my casting director here, who I love. And then we had a South African casting director. Excellent. That was great. What about the locations and stuff like that? So we knew early on we wanted to shoot in South Africa. I wanted to give this film the bigness I felt it deserved and the scope. And I knew I didn't want it to be green screen. So, and then there was something about being on the continent to tell the story and for the actors, the feet in the soil, just that feeling. And then logistically, you know, background, I knew we were going to have these big sequences. How are we going to find enough people here or at one point, Australia was floated. I was like, where are we going to find background in Australia? Um, so people got it pretty early on. And, um, and when I went there, it was, it was just a blessed thing. Our crew, 90% of our crew came from there. You know, I brought my department heads, except for makeup was from there, Babalawa. But it was just, there was such an enthusiasm for it. This is right before Omicron. So everything was all... You know, peaches oh and God, roses. Part two, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so part two. But we also needed a place where we could build because I knew I wanted to give the actors a 360 environment to to be in, to play in with that world building and make everything real for them. So we needed the space for that, which we were able to do in Cape Town as well. I see. I see. So, did you spend a lot of time in Africa? During the prep period, or, or did you do it? I mean, I guess you had to be there. What, yeah, we what started about your, shooting. Your, this is part of that question. What about the you know your 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 crew and your and your department heads and so forth? How did that come about? And and where did, and how did that work yeah. over there? And how much of that was from there? Mm-hmm. Well, I knew I wanted 
I knew I, what I wanted from my department heads. And as I said, everybody came from here. And I, I wanted specific mentalities for this. And it's interesting because if you look at my department heads, nobody on there has a big film on their resume until now, which is great. And I wanted not only talent, but I wanted passion. And what were you going to bring extra to this? And it was often looking past a resume, which people did for me back in the day, because sometimes a shorter resume doesn't mean lack of talent, just lack of opportunity. And so it was looking past that. And what were they bringing into the room? So my production designer, Keen McKenzie, he did some cool TV stuff, but he hadn't done something like this. But what he brought was so invaluable and it continued throughout the whole production because he was my anchor in terms of the deep dive into research that um, that we did because this is a historical epic. So you want to be obviously authenticity was was the key word. So the deep dive, this is pre-photograph. So it was so much of digging and excavating and separating history, which is told from just the oppressor's point of view. So obviously it's going to have a taint to it as opposed to the historians that we found from Benin who were reframing the history that you, you know, get on Wikipedia. And you were building sets. Yeah. And and he, so all the all the, the materials were, were found there and the crews. Everything, people, that the, red the, earth. The, the yeah. folks that were amazing. So he spent a lot of time in Africa. Yeah, it was it was great. You, we needed to be there. Um, I think I got there. I got there in August, and knowing that we were going to shoot in November, I wanted. I stayed as long as I could in L.A. to oversee the training because we we had the training facility here. All the actors were working with Danny, and all the stunt people in terms of creating the the stunt sequences. We would start it with stunt actors, and they would go through it all, and um, and then I would start to give notes, and Danny and I would figure things out until we finally got it to a place where we could then shoot it um, with iPhones and I would have that. And then I could take all that to South Africa, start sharing it with the actors, start putting that together. But that was also the fun part. Like I loved being with them, loved seeing them start to change. And cause it's part of the rehearsal process as well as, is that level of training. It changes your mind. It changes your body, it changes your swagger, how you move into a room. And they used it a lot for, building their character, but also building that sisterhood. I mean, I don't like to call it, they were calling it trauma building um, because, <laughs> because it was so hard. I prefer rehearsal, um, but they, uh, you know, they really used it to bond. So you should, you start shooting in November. November 1st. November 1st. And, and did you rehearse on, you know, on, on uh, location? Yeah, they all arrived a couple weeks before. I love rehearsal. Love it. Um, it's And it's imperative. And it's interesting. Some actors, when I hear they don't like rehearsal, freaks me out because why wouldn't you like rehearsal? Um, but I use rehearsal to build relationships and build the connections that then you hope show up on screen organically and um, and it was great because Viola so loves rehearsals. The choreography so. was happening in, in a studio somewhere? The dancing or the... the dancing, yeah. It was all yeah. happening at the same time. They, it was they, a lot. In the they, yard that they were... They, we had like, a whole gym built for them. So they would do the weight training in the morning, hour and a half. Then they would take a little bit of rest. They would have dance rehearsal, uh, singing, 
dialect, and then they would go for three and a half hours of fight choreography and weapons training and martial arts. It was just a all all day, but it was beautiful. It was a beautiful environment. Um, and this was, even though Omicron had hit, we started shooting in a place called KwaZulu-Natal, which is in the jungle. And it, we just felt untouched by anything. Nothing happened those first three weeks. It was blessed. So all the jungle stuff that you see is where we shot that. We got back to Cape Town, shot for about four days, I believe. And it was a Saturday for a big dance rehearsal. Our first, we got our first Omicron case. It was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and then by Monday, it was 21. And then on Tuesday, we realized it was, we couldn't stop it. And that was really, really scary because we, three weeks into shooting, had to shut down. And at that point, we had just finished building the palace. And I didn't know, I literally, I did not know, did we shoot enough for the studio not to just cut, cut pull, bait? Pull the plug. It was really scary and we didn't know was Omicron going to continue and continue to grow was it going to plateau so in retrospect now um, we had already had a two week Christmas built in so we shut down and then that Christmas break so that was a full month I decided not to leave and go back home because I felt if I left that I wasn't coming back so it was a an anchor. So you lived in Cape Town. I lived there and Viola didn't leave either. All the other actors left. Um, but she and I didn't leave as, like I said, we just wanted to stay. It's not all that bad, I guess. I mean, you know, Cape we're staying in a nice hotel. So. Cool. <laughs> it was a psychological thing that was so, so tough, but South mm. Africa did great and it plateaued quickly. Was it tabletop? I kept saying I was going to hike to tabletop and I never did. <laughs> we should have. It would have been worth it. Um, so I'm just trying, I'm, I'm saying, so you actually moved to, to Africa for a, a year. Yeah. It was worth it, right? Definitely. Yeah. It's, and it's hard, of course. I'm a mom and it's, uh, it's, it's tough. So tell it's me, tell, yeah, yeah. tell me about the, like the, the, the script. Is that my child? Clapping <laughs> for it. What kind? Of, what kind of relationship did did the uh, did the studio have with the film? Did were they and with the content? They were totally behind it. I mean, they greenlit it, which was great, and they gave us a really good budget. You always want more, and this, you know, this was tough because the first thing when you're trying to get that budget down, and that was the last thing we had to do to get the green light was get the budget down to a certain number. And part of me, of course, you're like, y'all have billions of dollars. You just give us this is a little bit more, which would make my life so much easier. But they don't see it that way. Um, so the first thing that happens is, you know, they cut days. And in the moment, you'll, it's like you always think you're always optimistic. And you have to. What am I going to do? Not make the movie, you know. But that, that was tough. It ended up being 63-day shoot. And it was Every day, every day was like, I'm in the van with Polly Morgan, my DP, and we're just, just laid out and looking at each other, like, did we get everything? And does it have to be this hard? And I do remember, though, at the, before our shutdown, again, every day was just a mad dash, mad dash. And I, every day I just felt like I was surviving and not thriving and I'm in this environment that I've dreamed about with the cast that is incredible and extraordinary. And I'm not 
enjoying it. I'm just literally trying to survive. And so during that shutdown, I really said to myself, when we are coming back and when we come back, I have to have a different mindset because I cannot look back on this and say I didn't enjoy it or didn't live in the moment. And I literally think was able to switch my head. And when we came back, it was just, it was still a rush, but I wasn't, I just wasn't depressed the whole time. I just gave into it. All right. You know, I, I heard you say on one of your, on one of your, um, of your interviews that you only had 11 days to shoot that, that fighting scene at the end. I said, 11 days? What are they going to do for 11 days for a five-minute scene? <laughs> but, but then when I looked at it today real carefully, I said, damn, yeah, I could see that because it was really a, really well done and, and very full of action and all sorts of uh, choreography, I should say. How did that, how did that work? Did, was that you? Were you and and uh, Danny? You know, kind of, and and I guess the DP, kind of like planning shot by shot, kind of thing. Did that? That was a sequence. The thing that freaked me. One out. other question: was, was that storyboarded in any way? Um, that was all the vignettes within it were stunt vised because um, it's just too hard to draw action for me. So we shoot it. We shoot it with stunt actors, um, stunt performers to get the nuances of it. Um, yeah, I mean, so I just think about one of my favorite action scenes ever is the bathroom fight in MI6. It's just brilliant. And in what? In, what? in Mission Impossible 6. Oh, okay. And so I always go back to that fight and learn from it. But that, they shot that for three weeks. Um, and so, and I was studying that before I did the old guard. And so the airplane fight in the old guard is too two people in a tube and that was five days. So then I'm like, okay, I have 11 days to shoot the oil battle. Like, how is that going to work? Um, but we just had to be really, didn't have a choice. So it starts, starts there. Um, but just really organized. And what I did is I broke it up into vignettes. Um, and so each character basically had a moment. Izogi had a couple, but when you do it like that, it start. it doesn't, feel as overwhelming and Danny and I every vignette we started with character what is this revealing about character how is this pushing the story forward what is it doing and that is helpful as well to think about it in those terms so it's just not a bunch of shots and it's just not hopefully a bunch of cool shots but it's storytelling and so to break it down like that and we essentially did three three vignettes a day and focus on those first and then got into the big clashes, the hundreds of people coming at each other, giving it a beginning, middle, and end for it. Um, so it was. So you was shot really the vignettes hot. before you shot the master, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I knew I needed to get that, and that was all with the actors. And again, the actors are doing this, so it takes a little bit more time. But again, they train so hard to be able to do that. We're also in South Africa, which does not have a. They haven't had a big film there shot, so there wasn't a a bunch of stunt performers and we couldn't afford to bring anybody in. So we literally trained 90% of the people that they're fighting against, which was, it's a beautiful thing because now they all have these skills, which hopefully more filming will, will go there so that they can use it. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that's because with action also in the thing like this, it's about layers as well. You've got what's going on. That's that's incredible. It really is. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a great scene. 
and it really uh, it really works really well, and it's and it's so exciting. Um, oh, one more thing about that, which is when Omicron hit, one of the things that come back, of course, we got to come back safely, um, and that meant cutting down the number of background actors we could have in a scene, which was really scary because we hadn't shot Oyo Battle yet. That was one of the last things we shot. So I had to be creative. And one of the things Polly and I talked about, we already knew there was going to be fires, but it was like, okay, if we use the smoke to shield the fact that we don't have a ton of people, uh, and that was a lifesaver. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Time flies. So what do you want to tell us? About <laughs> I got I got one minute. Now, I I think um, I had a few more questions, but I just there's a as a director to be able to work with this level of talent is is a gift, and to have someone like Viola at the heart of it, who is everything you hope that she would be, she is greatness, and to be able to touch greatness, you don't often get to do that in your life, and so to do that, but she doesn't come on set as if she's here and everyone's down here. She want, As it should, it should feel like an ensemble. It should feel like we're all working together. And she brought that to it and was so incredibly inspiring and respectful to the process, respectful of me, respectful of her fellow actors. And really it was, you know, her setting the tone. And as a director, your job, I think, is create an environment where the actors feel safe enough to give you everything. And, and they just, they did that. And it was, yeah, it was just a joy to work with this group. I got a question. One quick question. What's the next? <laughs> uh, for real, a nap? Because I have not <laughs> not rested for four years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a beach. Um, and then I think the fascinating thing is when I was in film school and right out of film school, there was that dream of I can't wait till people are sending me scripts um, because I'm also a writer and writing is really, really hard. But now that I've done these last two, there is I have this desire to write again, which is shocking to me, and direct what I've written. So I think that would be next. True. Okay. okay, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you guys very, very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 